Good morning, everyone. Um, we are gonna have we are gonna carry the president's comments live a little bit later this morning. He's scheduled for ten thirty. So if you haven't downloaded the KTR News app, now's a good time to do it. When the president begins the press conference, you will be notified. You can listen right there on your device. But that'll happen later on this morning, coming up at eight thirty-five, about twenty minutes from right now. We are going to speak with another candidate for the county attorney's office in Maricopa County. Her name is Julie Gunnigal. She is the only candidate to qualify for the ballot so far by getting her signatures. She is the Democrat or the lone Democrat right now that we know of that's running for the race. So we will talk with her at 835. Start this morning with Title 42 and the possible ending of it, which is supposed to end today, I believe. And uh, what we are hearing is going to happen. Title 42 was implemented by the Trump administration as a way for rapid deportation of certain people for COVID-19 and other things. So let's start there that this may be expiring. And if it's not renewed, what the Border Patrol is saying, this is part of an ABC News report about this preparation. Title 42, the controversial Trump administration policy which allows for quickly deporting single adults under a public health emergency is expected to end sometime soon. And with that, the Department of Homeland Security is bracing now for up to 18,000 migrants per day at the southern border, according to senior Homeland Security officials. They're running multiple scenarios on how they would deal with an influx of migrants. To get ready, DHS is now setting up temporary facilities in anticipation of high migrant levels. So this has been going on now for the entire presidency of Joe Biden. We have seen this huge increase in people at the border coming in illegally. And, uh, you know, the, the way that it's been handled at the border compared to other places and this this whole policy of this administration seems to be so odd. So when it comes to COVID-19, we have we all have different uh, differing opinions on what the right protocol is, was or should be. But the policy has been so inconsistent from the Biden administration. And let me give you an example. Anyone that's coming here with a visa and they are uh, essential workers coming into the U.S., they have to show that they have been fully vaccinated. And you have to that. Now, you're someone that is in this country on a work visa. You have to be fully vaccinated and you have to show that or you, you won't be admitted into the U.S. When you cross the border illegally at the southern border, there is no such requirement. There is not a vaccine requirement at the border. They offer it. They offer it sporadically. They haven't offered it consistently, but it's offered but not required. And does anybody think that makes sense in policy? And the answer is it absolutely does not. If you drive into Mexico, like many people in Arizona do, if you're going down to Rocky Point, going to Nogales, if you drive across the border, you can drive back into the U.S., If you fly across the border and you fly back into the U.S., you have to show a negative test. None of these policies seem consistent whatsoever. But what's really happening now is that people understand that Title 42 is ending, which is causing more people to assemble at the border and wait to cross. I want you to hear Brandon Judd. He is from the Border Patrol Union, and he was was on Fox News, and he was talking about the ending of Title 42 and what will happen. If you look at what's currently happening, it's extremely scary. We're fighting fronts that we've never seen before. Typically speaking, we've always fought fronts on, on two different locations, but right now, the entire border, the entire southwest border is busier than it's ever been. Um, we're looking at locations that just haven't been busy in the past, such as Big Bend, Deming, New Mexico. We're fighting fronts that we just don't have the resources to do it. And if Title 42 goes away, then those floodgates just completely and totally bust open and we'll be overwhelmed and we'll have less resources in the field. This is a scary situation. And when you look at the number of people that we're apprehending that have criminal records, it becomes even scarier. 
And these are the experts that are working on the border that are saying this. It is important for us as a border state. What is it going to do to our border sheriffs? What is it going to do to the people that live on the border, DPS and the border strike force, um, the National Guard troops that we have put down on the border? This is going to be a huge crisis that's even bigger than the one that exists now. So what? how do we get a handle on this as part of the questions? Now, this is a little bit, in my opinion, a little bit of the, the – um, the, you, I guess the difference in policy, I want you to hear President Biden talking about borders with the prime minister of Singapore. Borders can't be changed by force and all the nations are large and small are equal and sovereign and rights for their sovereignty. He's talking about sovereignty and borders being protected. He's talking about the Ukrainian border. Which I agree with him. But what about the U.S. border? When someone like me stands up and says, and if you're new to the show, maybe you're of this opinion already. But if you listen consistently, I am someone that is a huge legal immigrant advocate. I believe we should do more to allow good people to come here quickly, easily. We should be welcoming people in. And like we always have as Americans, every single generation of immigrant has been deemed the bane of our existence. And it's unfortunate that it happens that way. But then it ends up that those people become such a part of who we are. No one wants you to not bring your culture with you when you come here. That's one of the great things about Americanism is we celebrate other people's cultures. We enjoy them. But what we want is someone that wants to join us. But you have to do it the right way. So I am fiercely against illegal immigration, but I I acknowledge that we need to do something about the immigration system. You know, we are a border state. We are seeing huge amounts of drugs come across our border, but they're going nationwide. What's happening in places like Yuma, where the 911 system is being overwhelmed because there are thousands and thousands of more people crossing the border and they're waiting because the federal government isn't able to process them through. I talked about the vaccine requirements. There is a questions about now that there may be vaccine requirements at the border. So I want you to hear a little bit of this also from ABC. Virtually all migrants in the U.S. immigration custody at the southern border are covered under the new Homeland Security order. DHS is now requiring age-appropriate vaccinations for non-citizens who are taken into Border Patrol custody. White House Director of Communications Kate Bedingfield saying the administration is trying to get ahead of any new outbreaks with increased migrant cases at the border. So now they're doing this, and it hasn't been a consistent part of the plan. This is, again, the inconsistency of the administration is what frustrates people. Here in Arizona, the border issue rarely is a is a partisan issue. It is for some people. But Arizonans agree. Both of our senators, both senators who are Democrats in the state of Arizona, have gone to the White House and said, you need to do more about the border. The problems that we are creating for our future and the future of our children, because our children will be the leaders that are elected to offices that are going to deal with this, this crisis. We are creating an underclass. Everything about this is un-American. You know, that that poem, The Great Colossus at the Statue of Liberty, and I've said before that give us your tired, your poor, your huddled masses. It is not a poem. It is not a somber poem. I believe it's an emphatic poem. When I read it, that's the way I read it. 
You give us what you don't want. You give us the people from your nations that you don't want, and we will forge a great nation. And we have, and I think that's going to continue. You look back at, at every generation where there was the Italians, the Irish, where the people that came from all over the world when they were coming in waves. Irish Catholics need not apply. Um, you know, the, that, that was a... Those were signs and windows. People didn't want anything to do with immigrants at the time. Well, we see the same thing in some people's eyes now, but this is a completely different thing. Now we're talking about people that are absolutely thumbing their nose at American law with the help of the American government. So what this means is five years from now, 10 years from now, when these young people become adults, when you have a when you have adults that have come here and they're given a court date two or three years down the road when they have children here, our government is responsible for allowing this to happen. So then how does our government in good conscience five or ten years from now expel people? We are creating a situation just like the dreamers. We are creating a situation of an underclass and people without a nation. Some of these children, again, will not remember where they came from, the nations that they came from. They will only remember America. They will feel American, but they're not. And then there's a segment of our society that says, well, they're brought here by their parents. That's, the, you know, well, I don't think many there are some, but not most people could not look someone in the face and say that to their face. It's easy to say on social media. It's not so easy to look someone in the face that's been an American in their mind their entire life. Now they're adult. They, they're an adult. They want to work. They want to serve their country. They want to serve their community. And we tell them they can't. There's very few people that are going to say, get out of here to their face. But we are creating a problem because the government's allowing this to happen with a nod and a wink. And when that happens, we are then giving permission. And when we give permission, now people feel entitled. And this is this mass uh, – this incursion as that's a harsh word I guess. But the, the massive amounts of people that are crossing our border believe that they have a right to be here based on American law and they don't. And the administration's not pushing back on it nearly fast enough or hard enough, and it's about to get much, much worse. One of the candidates for the county attorney's office is Julie Gunnigal. We're going to speak with her coming up here in just a moment about her candidacy, about qualifying for the ballot, and about the relationship between her office and law enforcement if she were to get that office. We'll talk about that in just one moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. In an attempt to make sure you get to meet all of the candidates, at least for a few moments on the show, so then you can learn more about them as they move forward. One of the races that has just kind of happened and is going to be one of the most important for anybody living in Maricopa County is the county attorney's race. Joining us right now is the only candidate to have qualified for the ballot by getting her signatures in less than 24 hours, Democrat Julie Gunnigal. Miss Gunnigal, thanks for coming on the show. Let's start with what qualifies you, what uniquely qualifies you for this office over the other candidates that may be in the race? Absolutely. I was born and raised right here in Arizona. I am a graduate of the University of Notre Dame Law School. I've been an attorney for 16 years. I am both a prosecutor and a civil practitioner. I worked in Indiana where I developed skills for cases involving childhood sexual assault. And it was during that time I published a work on the RICO statute and became tapped to consult on financial crime and public corruption cases, where I eventually worked in Cook County taking down corrupt politicians. 
I've been back here for the last 10 years. I am a proud mom to three. And it has been the honor of my lifetime to work with these different community groups around our valley, working toward justice, like working on the expungement process and working to make sure that people can stay in their homes during the eviction crisis. So let's talk about the relationship with law enforcement in the county attorney's office. Obviously, with with the former county attorney stepping down, there was a rift and there were a lot of cases that weren't prosecuted or at least filed that were supposed to. And so the relationship is a very unique one, but it's an important relationship when it comes to law enforcement and prosecution of crimes. What needs to happen in that office to make sure that relationship is seen as strong by the public? Absolutely. First, the forgetting to file 180 cases, especially when those cases potentially involve victims, is shameful and unacceptable. So a day one priority is an audit of that office to make sure that the systems are in place, that that never happens again, and that the backlog of cases on felonies um, are resolved. But more to the point, the best run DA's office in the country have independence and mutual respect from law enforcement. That's quite literally what a prosecutor's job is. And as a prosecutor, I developed a reputation for transparency and honesty in my dealings with law enforcement. Part of that is that prompt communication of what's happening in a case or when a charging decision is made. And that's a hallmark of a good prosecutor and a partner. And it's not happening now. What I would note, though, is I am alarmed at some of the rhetoric around this issue as well, because it seems, you know, dead set on pitting law enforcement against the community and urging people to pick a side. And I believe that we have to recognize what the role of this prosecutor's office is, which is to be independent in their assessment of cases and to ensure that justice is, in fact, equal. There's currently a hundred million dollar notice of claim against this office because it chose not to be independent and chose to collude with Phoenix PD. So we need someone who can bring that breath of fresh air and uh, and really make changes in this office if we want to avoid both the lawsuits and the perception that this office can't possibly work with other partners. Um, a lot was made of your comments with Bram Resnick regarding the abortion law that may be signed by the governor, and you're not will, not going to enforce that law. Um, I actually played the, uh, the clip on the air myself. Can you clarify your statement on that and why you wouldn't enforce a law that's on the books? Absolutely. So this comes down to prosecutorial discretion, because the Maricopa County attorney gets to choose which crimes to prioritize. Prosecutorial discretion used by every single prosecutor in every single jurisdiction in the nation. It is non-controversial. Uh, maybe to make this clear to the listeners, when an officer sees you speeding and decides not to stop you, or a prosecutor is approached with a drug possession case and decides to send that person to treatment and not prosecute, what they're using is discretion. So I have committed that I'm not going to use the discretion of the county attorney's office to target people for their health care choices. And to make that clear, that's not just the new abortion law that's potentially being signed. If Roe v. Wade were to fall, um, and it might in the near future, then the county attorney will be prosecu- will be able to prosecute women not just for abortion, but also for birth control. And I've heard my opponents say that they will enforce every law on the books, and that's troubling because that means that there will be a police officer or a prosecutor in every doctor's office when you go to pick up contraceptives and in every abortion clinic across Arizona. And that means they'll be spending their time and taxpayer money going after people for their health care. I want to use this office to prioritize the crimes that impact the public the most, and those are the crimes that attack our most vulnerable women, children, and our seniors, and particularly acts of violence. 
So when it comes to uh, other laws, and I'm not asking this sarcastically, I'm seriously, are there other laws you're looking at on the books and saying these are also laws we're not going to enforce, we're not going to prioritize these laws? And if they are, what are they? Sure. I mean, that's already happening right now in the county attorney's office. Um, so, for example, every single year, about 50,000 cases go to the county attorney's office for prosecution. Um, and over half of those, about 24,000, um, are actually prosecuted. So these sorts of decisions are happening, um, but they're happening behind closed doors and the process is opaque. So I'd rather have the county attorney tell you up front what the priorities of this office are rather than having those opaque decisions made and put it in front of the democratic process. I mean, there's already examples um, like for it. Uh, one is our misdemeanor prohibition on adultery. Did you know our county attorney is able to charge cheating spouses with a class three misdemeanor? They don't because they don't want to see this level of overreach into people's personal lives. They'd rather have this office used for real public safety commitments like acts of violence and those that target our most vulnerable. If people want to know more about your campaign, because I would love to have you back on to talk more about the issues, but and no one's going to learn everything about you in this short time. If they want to learn about you, where can they find you and where can they learn more? Sure. So I am all over social media. My Twitter is at Julie Gunnigal. Facebook is the same. And you can find my website at Gunnigal2022.com. That's G-U-N-N-I-G-L-E 2022.com. Appreciate your time and hope you'll come back. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. That is Julie Gunnigal, candidate for the county attorney's office. Uh, again, um, do your homework. Make sure you know the candidates. And uh, we'll have these candidates on as much as we can, as more qualify for the race and more say that they're commit to running. We'll get you on. In just a moment, Gatos joins me. And it's the Big Q poll question of the day. The Gatos Big Q poll question brought to you by your Valley Toyota dealers. Hey, good morning, Gatos. Oh, the entertainment has arrived. Yes. I was just what? saying that before we went on the air. No, you aren't. You're no, saying, right. oh, I'm contractually <laughs> obligated to talk to this guy. Well, okay. Maybe that. <laughs> What's up, Mike? Nothing. You know, just uh, working away, getting ready Rip- for the president to speak. Now, I just want to warn you, the president is scheduled to speak at 1030 this morning, which means he's probably going to interrupt your show. <laughs> he's never He's never on time. <laughs> Is never has he ever been on time for you? He's no. never been on time for us. No, no, we had. But you know what? And it's not just him. It happens, I think, with a lot of a lot of presidents. But for in our business, we deal in you know in in five second you know five minutes of quiet is dangerous in this business. So when they're off by thirty minutes, it throws every, uh, just a monkey wrench and everything. Well, I thought Trump liked to show up early because he's like, oh, I got the media. I'm ready. To, <laughs> I'm ready to tear into him. He's been like walking like a like a hungry lion in the Oval Office. Yeah. He used to show up early and stay late yeah yeah when i did i did a couple of events for president bush and um when the schedule says that that president was going to be in the building at 6 12 and he took the stage at 6 15 you better be ready at 6 12 because he'll be there (laughs) he was on time i mean i don't know what his schedule was like when he did press conferences yeah when he did appearances that i that i emceed with him he He was was, i mean right on time he was on i don't know man i maybe it's just i I mean biden's got a lot he's got a lot of balls in the air right now he does that's that's one thing and he's not working as fast as right. uh, you know you know all right but. i got i have one minute because i went long with my guest i apologize what hey, do you got here we go 73 percent of phoenix bosses want their employees to return to the office mm-hmm. all right so half of the employees are basically saying okay i'll quit 
So I ask, where do you like to work most? I'm asking everybody out there, do you like to work A, home, B, office, or C, a hybrid of both? I do both. I work in the morning from home, mm-hmm. uh, and then I come in and you know work for, from there and then do the show. I think that's the best of both worlds for me, but... Um, I think a lot of people are going to quit their job if they've got to be forced back in the office. Yeah, you know, we, we've we never I, – I, I always came into the studio, and so did you, I think, for the most part. Oh, and, yeah, uh, and I love on. it. I I love coming into work, you know, so I, I, I'm one of those people that love being at work. So Me too. I try and get there uh, after you leave so we don't have to have the awkward <laughs> stop and chat in the middle of the, uh, middle of the office. Uh, I, and I appreciate that. I really yeah. do because I don't want to talk to you either. No, I get it, man. Right. I understand. Well, have a good day, and I'll, I'll listen this afternoon for the three minutes I'm driving. All right. <laughs> I'll see you. All right. Thanks, Gatos. The BQ Poll Question today brought to you by your Valley Toyota dealers. We're going to talk inflation. How much is it really costing you in just a moment? 